Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrew Matišák, and I work as a deputy head of foreign desk in Slovak Devi Pravda, which, by the way, means truth, and it's not Russian Pravda. Imagine that you are in a war game simulation, and you play Russia. This is what happened to Alexander Borfras. He is a senior researcher at the Center for Security Studies at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, ETH Zurich. I talked to him after he participated in such a war game. What were its main conclusions? Did the players blow off the world with nuclear weapons? Listen to our conversation. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on coffee. Thank you. For the link, see also a description of this episode. And now, up to the new debate. Alex, you just participated in a war game, as I understand, related also to Russia's wars against Ukraine. So could you say a few words about how it was organized and what was the main aim of this simulation? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. The war game that uh, we ran at the Center for Security Studies at ETH Zurich, uh, where I work, was based on a wargaming model that was designed by the RAND Corporation uh, in the US, which has a long, proud history of, of building strategic war games of, of many kinds. And this one in particular was focused on the US Grand Strategic Debate, uh, which, as I'm sure you're aware, has been sort of really since the start of the, the George Bush administration, has been grappling with which of its defense commitments are the most important in the world, where does it need to allocate its resources uh, to, to make those commitments more credible. Um, and of course, for a couple of decades now, ever louder becoming side of that debate has said that the United States really has to focus on Asia. Um, but of course, now the United States has become entwined in defense commitments in the Middle East. Uh, and now has been focusing much more on Europe, certain, uh, certainly more than the Biden administration had thought it would be at the start of its administration. So this is a really big grand strategic level kind of war game that tries to get the players to think about the trade-offs that are being made in various parts of the world by the United States defense establishment. The way the, the game in particular uh, was set up is that there's a U.S. player with a NATO as a whole player uh, working together as the, the blue team, as we say in wargaming. Uh, so really, those are the, the main actors. Um, and then uh, a rogues gallery sitting on the other side of the table representing different threat actors. Uh, in my case, I was randomly chosen to be Russia, and I was working together and at other times at cross-purposes with countries like China, Iran, North Korea, in pursuing our various regional objectives there. While the focus of the war game was on big strategy, it's surely impossible to ignore the fact that Russia is waging a war against Ukraine. How was the war game influenced by this fact? Absolutely. Um, and to the credit of the designers of this war game, who I believe built it sometime around 2017, they did not ignore the fact that Russia was already at war against Ukraine. Uh, so we had that element already built into it and, of course, brought it a little bit up to date uh, when, when we started the game uh, to acknowledge the full-scale invasion uh, that Russia launched in February of this year. 
And of course, as the Russian player, that was my my main task to to think through exactly those dynamics. You just said that playing for Russia or <laughs> being Russia, you had to take into account the current situation. So what was the starting point of your campaign? It was effectively the just the current situation that for me as Russia, most of my military forces were committed to fighting a war in Ukraine. And so the main challenge for me was to get additional forces uh, raised to modernize uh, the forces um, that I had at my disposal, try to make them more effective. Uh, so those are the kinds of trade-offs between actually sending them into battle in order to improve the position immediately or to have them pulled back uh, so that they can be equipped and trained to do better in the future. Uh, and that's the real challenge, as we see in the real world for Russia at the moment, of course. Um, you know, the, the way the scenario developed for us is that it was clear that both of us really would benefit from a ceasefire or a stalemate uh, in the war. But neither of us really was able to, to make the right move uh, to, to bring that about. If it was clear that both sides would benefit from a ceasefire, what did you try in this regard? Good question. I tried a few diplomatic offerings uh, to say we can build this into an overall security architecture uh, in Europe. Um, of course, I'm rather familiar with the talking points from the Russians, so I was kind of leaning into those uh, as well. And you know, it's really interesting in these games where, you know, for the most part, I don't spend my days feeling especially empathetic for the Russian point of view on this. Um, but when you're really kind of forcing yourself into that position through the use of a war game, I could really start to feel some of that frustration that I wasn't being taken seriously, that my proposals were being dismissed by, by both the Europeans and the Americans, who kind of seemed to be forcing each other to, to become tougher and tougher uh, on Russia as, as time went on. Uh, so my strategy was to build up pressure points elsewhere in the world, uh, in, in Libya in particular, uh, which didn't go especially well for me, I have to confess. And Uh, eventually, a couple of rounds later, it became clear to the Americans that their increased commitments based on what was happening in East Asia actually made it relevant and important for them to strike a temporary ceasefire uh, with me, the Russians. Um, and we're getting close to the end of the game there, but it is important to note that I intended to immediately violate that ceasefire based on the, the brief operational pause that it would give me. And yeah, we, we sort of ended there before I was able to to execute on that strategy, which of course is exactly what the Ukrainians are warning about, that any premature diplomatic solution at the moment in the real world is just an operational pause that the Russians can exploit to uh, try again at a future date when they're in a stronger position. So what happened to you in Libya and what was happening in East Asia, as you mentioned that? Well, in Libya, I moved a couple of my forces over there in order to try to become a relevant player politically, which... I thought of as a way of pressuring Europe from, from a different side and the American player as well, which had been building up the, sort of their their investment and interest in Africa. But yeah, then it just, the mechanics of the game uh, include some chance elements about how you use your forces, how you gain political influence, and the uh, roll of the dice just did not work in my favor there. So that was a bit of a, a disappointment. I mean, there's a lot happening in, in East Asia with, with the North Koreans, the Chinese, uh, and the Americans that... So to my discredit, I didn't 
do enough to work with uh, with some of the other actors on the the red side of the table. We did a few arms transfers and cooperation deals there, but to their credit, the the blue team was very good at minimizing the kind of collaboration among us and able to to isolate the Iranians in particular and offer them incentives and deals to not cooperate with Russia in particular. Have you been thinking about convincing China to attack Taiwan? or about asking North Korea to do something big on the Korean Peninsula or even beyond, basically to distract the U.S. from Europe. I did try that, uh, and the, the Chinese uh, thanked me for, for my good suggestions and uh, assured me that everything they were doing would be in my interest, but otherwise they didn't seem especially receptive to sort of my pressure there because I don't really have that much leverage over them either. Um, so it was clear that I was the... So even as the game went on, I was becoming more and more the, the junior partner in the relationship and dependent more on them than the other way around. Did the blue team stay reunited? Or have you been trying to divide it, especially Europeans and Americans? Divide and rule is a pretty common tactic for Russia. They did stay united uh, in a way that is probably not reflective of the real world there. Um, and for either reasons of the player personalities or the mechanics of the game, The surprise was that the Europeans were more hardline on Russia in particular than the Americans, which, as we know, is is not necessarily what's happening at the moment. At which moment during the war game, the discussion that somebody might use nuclear weapons started? It did not happen. And it really helped me to think through just how little benefit I could get as the Russian player from actually using it, because the fundamental question is what happens the day after. And, you know, operationally, there's just very little benefit to be received. Um, if you actually use tactical nuclear weapons at a large scale in order to destroy a lot of Ukrainian military equipment, um, in order to then break through and take more territory, you are now fighting in a contaminated nuclear battlefield. And we've seen throughout this conflict that the Russian military in particular is fundamentally mis- and under-equipped. Um, so as the Russian military, I wouldn't necessarily trust that I would have the better equipment to, to operate in that kind of environment than the Ukrainians who are receiving better up-to-date kit from, from its Western partners. Uh, so just at an operational level, it, it makes very little sense. Um, you know, then you just get back to the old idea that there would be some kind of a demonstration use of a nuclear weapon. But there, I personally don't see what the point is. The Ukrainians and the West is perfectly aware that uh, the Russians have nuclear weapons and that they give a big bang if they're fired. But you know, what, what have you demonstrated at that point? Um, if anything, you've demonstrated weakness by not actually using it in battlefield condition. So yes, there's, there's no real benefit to be received. I have to say that I'm a bit surprised that it didn't happen. I've read about other war games that ended up with using nuclear weapons even with nuclear Armageddon. Maybe you have been too cautious, if I can put it that way. You know, it's, it's possible. And maybe I just don't have the right mentality to kind of get into a mind space where I think it would be better to blow up the entire world or end the entire game rather than continuing to fight this war. But, you know, to me, the thought was that I can handle a... A situation of stasis. I can handle some defeats. I can always claw my way back some other way because it was quite obvious to me that the Americans were getting rather thinly stretched in their overall global uh, commitment. So I had a bit 
bit of optimism there that if I just keep pushing long enough, if I have endurance and persistence, uh, that I can actually come out in, you know, not a condition of perfect victory, but that I can still end up in a better place than I was when we ended the game and a better place than nuclear war uh, would be. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that it was an interesting insight because often war games can push its players to more extreme actions, especially as the end kind of comes by. The players might feel they, they need to gamble quickly in order to get in their, uh, their victory conditions before the clock runs out or something. Uh, but in this case, because it was a fairly well-designed game, uh, it didn't really force me into a position of having to make that choice. You know, in the end, there are, of course, always artifacts of a game design that doesn't mean you can take your, your lessons one-to-one from the game back out into the real world. Uh, there's a bit more judgment involved and kind of thinking through uh, which elements of the game could offer lessons for the real world and which don't. And so I think the, the level at which this game was at, uh, which was very much aimed at long-term thinking for all of the actors, incentivized even uh, the Russian player not to take any kind of rash gambling everything kind of strategy, but instead think a bit more sensibly over the long term. And we can, of course, only hope that that is the same perspective that the Russian leadership in the real world brings to the situation at the moment, too. So what was the main conclusion of the game? In the end, what was the position of Russia vis-a-vis the West and in regards to its effort in Ukraine? The main conclusion was that the Chinese are in a very good position. And the the other point is just that it's very hard to be the United States in this environment. I think if you're usually sitting in, in Europe or in Asia or, or elsewhere, the United States seems really, you know, it can accomplish anything it sets its mind to. Uh, but there, the, the domestic politics and even some of the material constraints are real. And it's it's hard to make American uh, defense and security policy with all the, the global commitments there. And you know, I think for the, the Russians, the main conclusion was that it was a very bad idea to start this war. And there's no obvious way of ending it on the Russian side. And I think that's really the, the worrying part for me. Personally, I worry less about the use of nuclear weapons and more that the Russians are incentivized to just keep the conventional war going over, over years to come because they can neither achieve victory, nor can they concede defeat. Talking about this, maybe the way out would be to change the Russian leadership. Did it cross your mind? That was not an option, unfortunately. It could have been built in that as part of an agreement, say, with the West, I, I could have offered to change the leadership. Um, but that was neither requested in the situation, nor did I offer it. Alex, to wrap it up, I will return to nuclear weapons. I would agree that using them would not help Russia much in this war. But still, where are we on the so-called escalation ladder? How far are we from the scenario that Russia might use them? That is so, so hard to answer. I think relative to when the war started, we are probably at a slightly elevated risk just because things have been going so poorly for the Russians. But I think the overall risk still remains at a fairly low level. And some of the strange noises that the Russians have been making, not only about satanic cults in Ukraine, that apparently now they're going to waste the UN Security Council's time uh, on these allegations, um, but this bizarre notion of the Ukrainians preparing a so-called dirty bomb, um, 
just seems to be entirely a function of propaganda uh, rather than any kind of deliberate signaling on the Russian side. And the reason I say this is that the allegations about the dirty bomb, the way they were articulated, gets the fundamental physics of it wrong. Uh, it's accusing the wrong institutes in Ukraine of having material that they very obviously do not have. Uh, and so if this were really meant to be as a threat to be taken seriously by the Ukrainians and by the West, you would think that uh, the Russian government would spend at least three minutes talking to a physicist or their intelligence services to get the story straight, rather than extemporaneously inventing accusations uh, just to kind of feed the ongoing need to justify their war uh, domestically and also to some of their sympathetic partners out there in the world. I mean, I think uh, the overall sense that some of us in the nuclear weapons community have had is that before February of this year, people thought and talked about nuclear weapons way too little. And now we, we meet at our conferences over drinks and just wish that people stop talking about nuclear weapons as much because there's so much else going on in this war that will be more important for, for how it ends up and also in kind of shaping the, the experience of the war uh, for the Ukrainian people. You know, it's always good to keep an eye on, on the tail risk uh, in a sense and obviously the consequences of nuclear use would be so terrible that it's, it's always worth considering. But on the whole, nuclear weapons probably won't be the, the fundamental shaping factor that determines the outcome of the war. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, See also a description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.